Sego, Sewaguego. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our Yohate Negasuna, the Road to Your Name podcast, focusing on Haudenosaunee cultural topics recorded on Haudenosaunee territory. Our podcasts are produced by Aboriginal Legal Services with the technical assistance of True Seed Media. My name is Lisa Venevery from the Mohawk Nation and the Wolf Clan. I'm the coordinator of the Yohate Negasuna, the Road to Your Name program, and the host of the podcast. This is the Yohate Negasuna, the Road to Your Name podcast series. Welcome to today's episode of Yohat De Negasuna, the Road to Your Name podcast. Very excited today because we have a long-distance guest with us who is from our community at Six Nations of the Grand River. She'll tell you where she's at right now, but she's a very talented singer and songwriter and musician who I've known for a long time, and her name is Elizabeth Hill. Welcome, Elizabeth, to the podcast. Thank you. Nyawa, thank you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and did you want to say more about I'm terrible. I'm terrible. With did you want to say more about introducing yourself? Yeah, I'm in, I'm living in northwestern Ontario outside of Thunder Bay, which I love. I'm I'm in the boreal forest, so I love this part of the world and I really am thriving here musically and creatively and so that's why I'm still here. I don't know what it is, but it's quite beautiful and I find it very a very inspiring place. And I've expanded beyond music into multiple genres of the arts. And I'm doing a lot of things right now, but I'm still music is my number one, is my number one art form. How many albums or CDs, I don't know what you call them now, have you actually made and released? Made and released, I, if, I, if I didn't count making uh, releasing, there'd be a, quite a few, but I haven't released a lot. But I've released... Let's see. Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four. There's four that are released of my own. Two more soundtracks that are being pre. One, no, one, two, three soundtracks that are being ready to be released. I'm still working on those. And there is a couple of collaboration CDs that I did along the years, like Hearts of the Nation, Legends, I Am an Eagle. I was part of those collaborations, compilation CDs. So there's a few, not enough, but there's a few. <laughs> I remember growing up and we didn't really know anybody who had released an album. And I remember the first person I ever knew from our community who released an album was our bus driver, Sam That's Martin. right. Remember That's that? right. I had that record for years and years. And then I actually, one of my uncles traded me a guitar for that album. And I took the trade. I didn't have, I was a wow. kid and I didn't have a guitar. 
<laughs> he wow. wanted that album, and I, I traded him for Sam's record. <laughs> and I remember it was exciting to know that somebody from our community had made a record. Yes, yes. that was really <laughs> exciting. I think I had the record too. And so when you started to release record, make a record, it was something that, was it something that you thought, yes, I can do this. This is something that can be done that's achievable. Actually, by the time I got around to releasing When the Spirit Moves Me, which was the first CD, I was embedded in the songwriting world in Nashville, and I wasn't really thinking about performances or putting music out there. I was really focused on songwriting and learning the craft, really just trying to write good songs, great songs. That was my goal, was to write great songs. And that's what I was doing. And then someone suggested to me, if you make a CD, that's going to help you a lot. And I just fell into it through word of mouth and suggestion and called up a bunch of friends. And we put this thing together and everybody said yes, and away we went. And we actually recorded it in a small home studio of Robin Ruddy, who now runs, I think, his Emerald Studios in Nashville. So yeah, that was the first CD. It wasn't, I wasn't thinking about going out and being a performer or anything like that. I was just songwriting. My focus was totally there. So when you decided to focus on your songwriting, did you automatically think, I have to go to Nashville where they the best songwriters are? I That was a part of it, but I didn't immediately pick Nashville. I honestly just sat down and thought, where are the major music industry locations? And I was already living in New York State at the time. And it was New York. Los Angeles and Nashville. And because I was brought up and wrote country music, I was already in country music. I thought, it doesn't make any sense for me to go to LA or New York. I might as well just go to Nashville. So yeah, that's basically why I went was because it was like going to school. I wanted to be where the best songwriters from everywhere were. And it worked. <laughs> Did I ever learn a lot? <laughs> What are some of the things that they taught you there? Well, they taught me that songwriting was a craft, like any other craftsmanship. You had to really work at it. You know, and not every line you wrote was gold and beautiful and it could always be reworked another way or to be like the making of any art form. You work at it until you get it to a place where it sits right inside you. I worked for a publisher and he taught me a lot about writing for commercial music. That's what I was doing there. I was listening to the radio. I was, that's one of the things they said, you write for commercial music, listen to the radio, see what's already being played. And then more often than not, what was already being played wasn't the next six songs. Something else would be very different and come out and you go, what's the point of doing that? But I did learn that if you want to be an artist, you immerse yourself in art. And if you want to be a songwriter, you immerse yourself in songwriters and songwriting. And so I studied older songwriters, like the, the people who were writing in the 60s, 50s, 60s. I listened to the way they put the words together, the way they wrote the lines, the way they created the images, so that when you heard 
George Jones saying, step right up, come on in. Would you like to take the grand tour? You can visually see where that song is going as he sings the song. And I was really taken by that. So those are the kind of things I learned while being there. Just a lot of different little things that you didn't think about as a young songwriter. Yeah. And do you think that as Haudenosaunee people, our inner tradition of storytelling, did that help you? Oh, that was an underlying factor in everything I wrote. In fact, even some of the melodies, when I first moved to Nashville, I had people tell me who had heard Haudenosaunee music say, the rhythms that you play on your guitar are the same as the rhythms I hear on the drum, on the water drum. So I never was separate from that part of our culture. It was, and I remember being asked once, how much of your Native American culture is in your music? And I kept saying all of it. I didn't understand what they were asking because I couldn't, I couldn't separate it. It was always a factor. I didn't consciously think about it. Oh, this sounds like the round dance. I didn't, you know, I didn't do things like that. But even I began to recognize it after a while. And I think with with being immersed in, in storytelling, they're all storytellers there, most of them, the songwriting that goes on there. Were they open and sharing with you? Like, was it a sharing kind of community and helping each other? Or as they, as people say in the music business, it's very competitive. You know, when I moved there, I think it was 1986 or something like that, when I finally moved there, and I remember people saying, oh, it's very competitive. Well, you're going to have a hard time breaking into the music business. And I realize now that the years I spent there were a magical moment in time because it was very welcoming. It was very open. The collab collaborations, like collaborative songwriting was a thing. So they expected you to write with other writers expected you to write with other writers who were better than you so you could learn. Every gathering I went to had something to do with songwriters. And we had taco parties and pierogi making parties and different things where all a bunch of songwriters gathered together and we would have guitar pulls and we'd share our new songs or whatever. And, and it was a really strong network of peers, songwriting peers there. There were other songwriters, like the big hit songwriters, you ran into them too, and they were always very welcoming and very kind and very generous with their time. And I wrote with some of them eventually, as I got to know them a little. But I didn't ever have that feeling like I was being elbowed out of the way. It's better luck next time. I, mm -hmm. I got the cut this month or this on this album. And then they would say, you should do this, and maybe you'll get the cut the next time. You know, there was a little bit of competitiveness here and there, I would say, but not like people expected it would be, and not like I thought it would be. I have been told that since then, it's all changed. And it's not like that anymore. And that's why I call it a pocket mm -hmm. of time, because mm -hmm. everybody I talked to that was there in Nashville with me at that time says, and the ones that still live there says, it's, that was a magical time and it doesn't exist anymore. So I don't know what it's like now. Don't wanna know. <laughs> oh, 
So when you wrote songs there, did the songs stay there? Like they weren't yours? Did you have to, you were writing for some a publishing company or something? When I wrote for publishing companies directly, they kept their share of the song. Like I had to give up 50% of the copyright of the song. And then I started working independently and we made the deals where we dealt, I dealt, I fell into a pattern of de dealing with a song-by-song song contract, it was called. And if they got the song cut and released, they got to keep that 50%. And if they didn't, I got the entire song back. So I left some of them there, brought some of them with me. And how long were you there? And when did you know that your time there was over? I went there the summer of 1986. And I left once for a couple of years there in between, and then I went back and stayed until 1990. Often, through the entire time, if you add it all up, was about 10 years. And 1996 was late, 1996. You know that song, When the Spirit Moves Me? That's what moved me. It's like I just knew that it was that I needed to leave. And I didn't, I was, even me, was. I was surprised by that. I was surprised I was even thinking that because I didn't think I would ever leave. I loved it so much. I surprised myself by leaving. But it was a good move. It was a really good move for me to do that. Because it brought me back to Canada and it brought me back to Haudenosaunee country. And it brought me back into our music and that's when I became a performing songwriter. Elaine Bumbry dragged me kicking and screaming all the way. <laughs> and I just interviewed Elaine. <laughs> She'll be on this season as well. <laughs> yeah. So I remember listening to the, I remember the first time I listened to The Peacemaker's Journey, your CD, oh, The Peacemaker's, Peacemaker's Journey. And, and it brought me to tears. Peacemaker's Lullaby. I have the Peacemaker's Journey in my head from the language summit, I think. But the Peacemaker's Lullaby, and it brought me to... So many of the songs were emotional for me to listen to because it was in the language and how I'm a language learner. And... To hear the language and music, it's just another layer of the beauty of our language when you hear it in music. What inspired you to do that CD? Well, the language itself, when I, I had been trying to learn my entire life. Language classes didn't start in the schools on the reserve until after I was gone from there. And so what little I learned as a child what stuck with me. And then when, actually, I think it was my granddaughters, my two oldest granddaughters had just been born. And when they got old enough, they were going to go to the immersion school. And I kept thinking about that and thinking, I need to continue learning. I need to, and I knew, and there's a funny little story that goes with part of that. And that is the thought that occurred to me is I can still remember my second grade Valentine list because I sang, I forgot it at school, and instead of worrying about it, I, I imagined where everybody sat in the class, and I sang their names all the way home. 
and I can still sing that list. And I thought, if I can sing the language, it will help me remember it better. And then the next inspiration was approaching all the fluent speakers that were around at Six Nations at that time and talking to them about my idea and them all saying, we'd love to help you with it. And that was Angelija Kanawagi, Colleen McGregor from, I think she's also from Kanawagi, Ima Johnson, Ima Kat, Josie Back, she's gone now, she was from Akwesasne. And so now, and I'm still taking Mohawk classes, I will be learning my entire life and I don't mind, but I still hear Josie's voice in my head when, when I'm learning. And when I'm singing those songs, I still, I hear Josie's voice in my head because she was from, she was very, a very strong woman from Akwesasne and spent a lot of time with me speaking in the language, talking to me about language and about things that inspired the topics in the songs. So for example, when I asked her, if you had one message, the youth of today, what would it be? And she said, never to forget your Indian was the way she put it. So never to forget you are indigenous and that your ancestors, it cost them a lot to give you what you have today. And so that is the message behind Ize Ongwehole on that album. Now that you're talking about the album, my favorite song on the album is when you're singing about welcoming the new baby. That was everybody's favorite song. Say go. You're saying say go to the <laughs> yeah. baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite song. Well, <laughs> you mentioned that they made you feel very emotional. Every single song on that album was composed with that emotion in the words. Yeah, you can feel it. That's one album that you can feel all the way through. <laughs> and you've achieved that. Thank you. That was the goal. <laughs> it stood the test of time because our language is timeless. Yes, yes. And you can listen to that album 20 years from now. It'll, it'll still be great. I hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. I deliberately also made sure I had speakers from different communities so I could include all the dialects. So, for example, when you hear the Mohawk of Ize, the Mohawk language of Ize Ongwehoe, that is a New York State Akwasasne dialect. I'm singing in Josie Back's dialect which is very different from Six Nations dialect. And so, so for Sago, that's Kanawagi dialect. So there's a little bit, so there's a little bit the same there, mostly the same. But one of the feedbacks I got on the album was, I don't always understand what you're saying. And I was like, I did my best. I didn't have a fluent speaker in the studio with me at the time. So if I forgot something, I had to just push my way through it and hope for the best. I also began to realize that some of the dialect differences were what people were hearing. And I was glad because I did that album as for the students of Gawaneo as much as for myself, because I wanted there to be a resource for language learners to say, here's something, try learning to sing these songs, it will help you. And it did help me. The more I sang, the more I recognized as speakers were talking, the more words I recognized. I was like, oh, I know what he's talking about because it's in this song here. 
So it really helped me. It helped, And so I'm hoping that it has helped other people. And I love doing it. Mm-hmm. I would do another one if I could. Yeah, you should do another one. I would be the first one in line at the store to buy that one. <laughs> when now you're up in, in the north, what, what prompted you to go there? And what are you doing there in terms of creativity and the arts? I had just finished two or three gigantic projects. I was tired. My health wasn't good. And I left for the summer. And I had two of my granddaughters that we were raising at the time, and they fell in love with it here. And I'm in the area of the Norwester Mountains, which is a gorgeous part of the country. And those mountains run from, if you're driving up Highway 17, you start seeing them forming. And then by the time you get to Thunder Bay, you see them everywhere, and as you drive west towards through Minnesota, they're all through there until you get to the head of the Mississippi, then it starts flattening out a little bit, right? So geographically, I'm in a gorgeous part of the world. And they fell in love with it, and they asked me, can we go to school here? And I just thought, wow, that's a really interesting question. Can you go to school here? And honestly, that's why we stayed. That's why I stayed here was because they had been an immersion school and then they did two years of homeschooling where I taught them English. And I said, we can try it out. And we tried it out and they they did fine. They both ended up going to university and doing what they want to do and all of that. So I guess it was a good move. That's the personal side of the story there. On the creativity side of the story, I healed here. I needed that time out to, to rest and to rest my mind and to rest my body. I just needed some healing time. And I like being on the land. It's Being on the land here is a little different than being on the land at home. You can't go anywhere at home without coming up on another road or coming up on, a, on another house or a bunch of wild dogs or <laughs> something. And there's no silence. There's no silence. There's no darkness. The light pollution is, you can still see the stars, but the light pollution is tremendous. And I found myself writing and creating differently when I was able to stand in the complete darkness and complete silence looking up out at the sky at night and seeing stars I'd never seen before, hearing nothing except maybe the occasional airplane from the airport. But the silence was so complete. It was absolutely gorgeous. And it had been a long time since I heard that or didn't hear it. (laughs) And so I began recording things around me and I began paying attention to the land and the trees and the woods and the animals and everything. Everything that's in our Ahandagaliwadakwa, I began to look around me and go, I can see that, I can hear that, I can feel that. And everywhere I've gone on the earth, I'm able to, I've been able to do that. I can stand, I was in Africa, I stood on their land, and I, that's how I oriented myself. What do I see and hear that is in, that, in those words? And I connect with that. 
And I connected with it so deeply that it changed my artistic trajectory from being a performing songwriter to picking up the other genres of art that I'd always worked in but never pursued because I was so busy with music. And that was photography, just sound recording, painting, soundscaping, just creating from a whole deeper place inside myself. It sounds wonderful there. <laughs> Honestly? <laughs> it sounds like it's the place if you want to be creative to head. Uh, you can... As I could work from anywhere. I know that now. I can work from anywhere. But I needed that time out to, to heal those things so that I could work from anywhere. And this gave me that time out. It is beautiful. There's, I'm not saying it's not utopia by any shape or means. Like I'm not surrounded by Haudenosaunee people here, and I miss that. And, I, and it was very difficult for me. I had never lived off the reserve in Canada except once for a little while, a few months. But, you know, there's something about living on the reserve that is so easy and in us that we don't even think about it until we're not there. So I had to literally ask questions on the phone and I'd be like, okay, on the reserve, I did this. Now, if I'm not on the reserve, what do I have to do to get this done? I'd ask questions like that because I knew how to live like an American. I didn't know how to live like a Canadian. I had to learn that. So you've been creative. You're in a great place creatively. What are some things that you're working on for the future? Anything creative? Are you doing a lot of photography? Still songwriting? I'm still very much songwriting. I'll always write songs. And like I said, there are pieces sitting here that need to be put into CDs. So I made the decision because of my health not to pursue performing songwriting as a, to be like, a, like I used to. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm a songwriter, so what am I going to do with all these songs? But I can be a recording artist. I don't care whether it's not a great marketing idea because what I really want to do is catalog all these songs in CDs and to be able to, and to, be able to say, yeah, here's a piece of art that includes my voice and these words I've put together, and here's this. So I'm working on that right now. I'm collating a bunch of songs out of my catalog, old and new. There's a lot of new ones that I wrote just in the past year that have been recorded. And I'm just thinking about, because they have to be mixed. So I'm thinking about those arrangements and that. So I'm working on that right now. Digital photography is huge with me because I discovered Adobe Photoshop. And I love digital photographic art and I've created a few pieces that are a bit unusual and I'm working I they will be up on my website soon I'm just going to put them up there for now I just have to do fix the copyright thing on on them that that kind of stuff but I'm working on digital photographic art just bought a new camera which is fun learning how to use it I am creating soundscapes. My head's going more to what have I done in the last six months? One of those things was an art installation at North Bay's Ice Follies. We got a friend of mine, 
another artist up here. She's Finn, Finlander, and her art is, she works with a lot of textiles and fabrics and things like that. And But she's also a soundscapist and a builder. We created an installation together of photographic art, soundscapes, and a structure called the Roof of Reprieve, which was a reflection of the environment, ecology, and shelter. And shelter doesn't need to be huge, but there needs to be shelter, and it can be beautiful, even if it's small. And, you know, we did that on my own right now. What am I doing? I just finished scoring another film. So my head is between the two, letting go of that project, because it was huge. It's a, for me, scoring a film is, I don't know how to describe it. I don't think I'm like any other, I don't know. I don't know if I'm different from other film score composers, but I know I go deep when I do that. So yeah, I'm letting go of the previous film and I'm getting ready to put together a Indigenous Women's Voice Project this summer and working on exploring creativity and presentation of the of Indigenous performance art, whatever that might be to the participants who are going to participate. So that will be here in the Northwest. And it's a week long. Those are fun. I get to know a lot of people that way. What else am I doing? Writing. Oh my God, I forgot. I'm writing literature, like poetry. I started writing on this platform called medium.com just to practice nonfiction, creative nonfiction. I thought, let me see if I can write this. And I'm doing okay on that one. That's my practice site. So it's elizabethhillwriter.medium.com, I think it is. Don't make any money on it, but it's good practice. And I'm researching another novel. So I'm doing all kinds of things. I'm like, I must be like, have one of those brains where you just hop from one thing to thing. I'm the kind of person that cleans my house the whole thing at a time, go from room to room. That's how I work. I go from project to project, come back and do it again. That's how I work. I'm all over the place. <laughs> wow. You use your creativity every day, don't I you? I do. <laughs> I fall asleep at night thinking about things and ideas, and I wake up in the morning and think, okay, how am I going to get this one done? It doesn't stop. And I've always been that way. It's just that I haven't had the freedom to create the way I'm creating now, until now. So I don't know what's going to happen, Lisa, but I'm going to wow. keep doing it. I hope you do. How often do you get come home to Six Nations? I haven't seen you in so long. I don't get home very often when there's like big public events. Like I haven't been to the powwow in years. I come fairly often, but most I have such a big family. I'm usually taking all my time trying to make sure I hit every one of those houses to say hi to somebody. You know what I mean? And my children are there, so... I don't spend a lot of time out in the community. Um, and that's why nobody sees me. I'm pretty sure people think I'm dead or something because <laughs> nobody sees me anymore. I fell <laughs> off the, the edge of the earth. <laughs> Thunder Bay isn't a mecca for artists and performers. I'm, I'm glad you're doing the podcast so we can remind people you're still with us, Elizabeth. <laughs> 
I'm ha- I'm okay. I'm having fun. <laughs> I'm having fun. And I still perform once in a while. Let's re- remind people, I don't know if you said it before, where they can find your work on your website. What is your website? It's uh, elizabethhillmusic.ca. Okay. Elizabethhillmusic.ca. And I'm terrible. I'm a terrible social media person. I'm not good at posting things. I've even had other people post things for me. And all the artists in this area know that about me. So they post stuff. If I'm doing things with them, they'll post this stuff because I honestly don't have time to think about it. And being from the decades I'm from, I'm learning as fast as I can, but it's almost like at times I'm like, I don't care, which is a horrible thing to say in this day and age because everything is on social media. And they're like, if you want to be a success at anything, you got to be on social media. And I'm like, okay, but I'm terrible at it. But I do have a Facebook page. It's Elizabeth Hill Music. Okay. Maybe we can direct some people to go to your Facebook page or your website and um, you can get more followers. And Well, did you want to add anything else before we wrap up our visit today? I think that I think it's important to know yourself as an artist. And I think for me, it's taken my entire lifetime to figure that out because I spent so much of my early years immersed in music and immersed in songwriting that I thought, okay, that's what I do. But I always had that feeling that I could do more. And it's important, I think, not to box yourself in and not to limit ourselves as artists to, you know, if you can stretch your creativity beyond what you're comfortable in. I, and it was scary for me, but I did that. And sometimes it's still scary to step outside your comfort zone with things, right? So I've been doing photography for years, but a lot of people didn't know that because I didn't share a whole lot of it. And some of the pictures I've taken have been terrible. But when I sat down and really started looking at it, it you know, that and soundscaping and painting and painting, I found out I, I'm not bad at painting with oils. A lot of people don't like to paint with oil paint. I love it. You know, I'm not terrible. But just working at things and picking up things that you, that we don't have time to do, you know, it's important to make those moments because I took a trip to the Smithsonian once and I looked in those drawers that have all those old pieces of work that our people did. Those little Glengarry bonnets that, that people used to bead and there were some with quills and lace and beautiful tiny beads on them. And I realized our people utilized whatever material came before them and created something beautiful out of it. And they wore it. They wore their art. And it really woke something up in me to look at that inside myself and say, you can do whatever you want. And you can wear it on your head, you can wear it on your feet in a pair of moccasins, you could wear it in a skirt or a blouse and create a work of art that you can wear and see. You can paint it on a canvas or a piece of wood or a piece of birch bark or you can bead a canvas or a piece of bark 
there's so the world is full of materials to work with and there's no limit to what your creativity can bring you to and that's the path that i fell on and it's what lifts us up it's what when i looked at those little hats those women made in the 1700s and the dates that were on them i realized they'd been through a lot and they still created so it must have done something for their heart and their spirit and their lives to keep making art and that's what i do that is so beautiful and you have just inspired me i'm going to go out there and i'm going to continue to use my creativity but do something that that i maybe i've not done before mm-hmm. yes because we can do that. We're creative people. Yes. Well, if yeah. I can get up and do improv. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's meet again and talk about our Netflix comedy specials <laughs> we're going to be doing. <laughs> I didn't say I was good at improv. <laughs> <laughs> That that's something that we can do. <laughs> That'd be so funny. I miss you. I miss everybody too. Tony yeah. lonesome. <laughs> okay, Nyawe go off for being our guest on the podcast, Elizabeth, <laughs> and we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Nyawe go. This has been the Ohate Negasuna, the Road to Your Name podcast series. There are 10 episodes in this podcast series. Let's meet again on the next episode. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate located at the top of the homepage of our website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Road to Your Name. This has been the Ohate Negasuna, the Road to Your Name podcast series.